Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with a host of the podcast, Coaches on Couches, about changing plans. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. For them, but I think it's uh, being very realistic about about how much sleep you're getting, how much recovery you're getting, and then your training needs to match the recovery you're getting. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, and it's true. It's like you know, your job as a coach sometimes is not to tell people what to do in these endurance events so much as it is to tell them what not to do so that they don't get pushed over that threshold for injury. And, and truthfully, your job as a coach is to not pick a time and create a plan for somebody. That's what people think they hire you for, but they're really hiring you for is to help you figure out how it is that you can maximize your physiologic capacity for you know, absorbing those workouts, doing tissue damage, and then recovering and rebuilding afterward before your next workout. And you guys know what that schedule is. People who are new at that or who are trying to reach some new peak in their own physical fitness don't know how to do that because they've never done it before. And it is a little ridiculous that so many of us want to be self-coached or create our own plan, you know, just by getting out a spreadsheet and tacking workouts on there that seem like they would fit our schedules, but that's really haphazard. And, you know, nobody would do that in any other area of their life. You know, you, you just, um, you need to take advice from people who are professionals who know how to help you rebuild tissue. If you really want to maximize your capacity to get there as quickly as possible, it's just as simple as that. And, also, which is interesting, is a number of times I've had people who have coaches that got injured, and when I ask them what happened, they will actually say, well, you know, I had this whole work project thing, and I had to do this, and it shifted my schedule, and so instead of doing my, you know, my speed work on this date, I basically just did it on, you know, this day, and I'm like, wait a minute, so you did your speed work one day, and you did your <laughs> long run the next day, seriously? I was like, did you talk to your coach about that? And, they, and I've had this multiple times where people said, well, I didn't tell him because I knew he would tell me to not do it, but I really had to check it off. And it's, it becomes this thing of almost like a business task list of where oh. they have it in their brain that if they don't check off every single workout on the calendar, cumulatively, there's no way they'll meet their goal. It's just not true. Right. And so many times eliminating a key workout will help you rebuild that tissue so that you will be prepared for your next hard workout. Sleep's one of those things, but so is nutrition for, you know, and you, so it's one of the big keys. I mean, I know you guys have like five pillars and there's all these different things that you have to do, but just sleep and nutrition are definitely two of the biggest, right? And oh, for sure. so what about your nutritional habits and what do you do? Uh, and I guess also a big question I have for you guys is like, since you switched from those sort of conventional sports, like, you know, baseball, football, and things like that to, you know, these purely, uh, you know, mileage driven endurance sports, you know, what's changed in your uh, approach to like nutrition and diet, uh, in the years that you've been doing all these much longer events and coaching people. I'll let Brian lead that one off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, it's funny. Like, so the older you get, you, you tend to not be able to get away with, uh, with as much, um, as what, you know, someone in there, you know, when I was 18 or 20 or whatever, you can pretty much eat whatever you want. And, 
you don't notice it nearly as much as far as your waistline is is concerned. But as you start getting older, it's like, well, you know, maybe there is something something to this. The naivety of uh, being being youth. But then you think back to like when I think back to the garbage I used to eat and and how much better things could have been yeah. uh, by paying attention to what was going in my body. I think as endurance athletes, we're like, hey, or you you have a percentage of the endurance population that does the sport so that they can eat what they want. Right. Um, we like to start twisting that and sort of turning that mindset to, uh, well, let's, let's eat to perform rather than, you know, training to training to eat. Um, you know, so for me personally, I actually went to a, a vegan diet back in 2011 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it sort of just started as an experiment, you know, I was fairly new to the coaching world, you know, a couple of years in, um, and I wanted to see, you know, how it, how it, oddly enough, it came after a steak cook-off. So I did have steak. Non-stop <laughs> I was waiting for, for like, that story to come for out. Like, <laughs> for like two weeks straight. So it made it easy to, uh, to give it a go. Gosh, we um, ate some steak. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that that diet is perfect for everyone, right? So, um, but I think really paying attention to what's going in your body and how that impacts not only how you perform, but how you recover is a, is a very important thing. And you also need to think about your goals. Like how important is your, your health to you? How important is your fitness to you? And how important is your goal? Um, if it's important enough, people will make sacrifices, right? They'll, they'll get the sleep they need. Um, if your work is super important to you, you know, that's where most people, we see it with a lot of people, um, you know, work is important and that's not going to budge, right? Uh, so you need to have your priorities set and be realistic about, about those priorities. Um, so for me personally, yeah, I, I, I believe nutrition is so huge. Um, and, and people don't realize it and you, you probably get this a ton. Like people don't take care of the things they should until it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. We don't appreciate being healthy until we're sick. We don't, we don't think about that lack of stretching, that lack of strength training we're doing. Um, it's, we don't worry about that until we become injured. And so our mindset and what we try to get through to our athletes is all of these things are important to keep you heading towards your goal, performing at a high level and becoming the best you can be. If you neglect stuff, it's going to catch up to you sooner or later. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the other big one is hydration as well. And, um, you know, we live in, in an area where it gets, hundred plus degrees and hundred percent humidity. I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal, uh, in the summer. Uh, so, you know, having, you know, keeping up with your hydration as well is going to, obviously the more hydrated you are, the more essentially effectively blood you have to, uh, to cool you, to, you know, push all those good nutrients to your muscles for recovery. Uh, you know, so, um, we focus a lot on hydration with people, uh, as well, you know, nutrition wise, uh, like I've kind of gone back and forth on a lot of different like things, but it's, it's gotta be something that you can sustain. Like the first, usually when we, when we get on a new athlete, we'll kind of talk to them about what their nutritional habits are. We have a, we have a, a, a nutritionist that we kind of, uh, send them to, to have a conversation about it. But then it's, you know, it's more about like, okay, what are you eating now? 
and what are some better choices we can make with those things before we even get into like trying to get to race weight or like anything like that. Let's just, let's just change the things you're putting in your body versus how much or, you know, when, you know, once we change the things to better quality, now we can focus on the nutrition timing or nutrition periodization or, uh, you know, the, like trying to lose weight or anything like that. So, I mean, that's always our first step is just to change, change what you're eating. And that's kind of even personally, like when Bryant kind of did his 180 on (laughs) going straight (laughs) vegan, I kind of, I tried it, you know, he was kind of doing it and I tried it. My, my wife is not a big uh, meat eater, so it wasn't that hard. But what it did for me was uh, realize that, you know, I wasn't eating as much veggie and, and stuff like that, that I should have been. And I like, you know, within a few weeks felt better, uh, you know, slept better, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I kind of like just started weaning a few things back on, you know, after about, I think I did it for about three months where it was just plant-based completely. And then just weaning like some eggs and stuff back in, like some cheese and some eggs back in that I just couldn't (laughs) mentally live without. So, uh, but you know, and that's kind of where we're at now is we eat very, very little meat, uh, aside from eggs and, uh, you know, occasionally have some meat and some meals, but other than that, it's mostly plant-based. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And, you know, one of the things I've seen that's extremely interesting, I don't know if you guys see this, but, um, you know, sometimes I'll go to someone's house, right? I could do house calls. I do webcam visits to do phone consultations. I don't see people in the office. And so that gives me an enormous benefit because when I go to someone's house and they're injured, you know, I kind of see what's going on sometimes. And, and I have had times where I go see somebody and they have like a pizza box sitting there and, and I'll say, well, so you're injured. I know you got injured, whatever. Um, you know, what are you eating now? Like, is your diet the same as when you were training? And overwhelmingly from these athletes who know the importance of dedication and consistency will say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not training now. And I'm like, wait a second. Training is where you go do tissue damage through a structured plan called a workout. And then you sleep and you eat to rebuild that tissue after that workout. When you get an overtraining injury, the only thing that has happened is you have concentrated all of that tissue damage in one part and exceeded your ability to repair it before the next workout. And then I'm like, so wait a second, if you just stop for a second, you think about if you want to increase your fitness over a period of 10 years and get to be as fast as you can be, would it make sense to abandon your implant entirely for a six month period during that 10 years? No way. Right. But then they'll go for six weeks and they'll eat garbage while they quote unquote are recovering and healing from this injury and they'll stay up late because they're bummed out and they start getting depressed and they're, you know, watching, uh, you know, Netflix all night instead of sleeping because their sleep is disrupted because of the food that they're now putting into their systems. And that really gets them derailed. And um, it just kind of baffles me because they seem like they know what they're doing with training and then they just throw everything out the window when their plans go sideways you know, and that's a part of why I wanted to talk to you guys on this episode, because you understand that stuff really clearly. Um, But, you know, like you said, some of you, you talk, I think someone talked about naps already about sometimes that that works for athletes. We let your body catch up. I love naps. 
Okay. So is that one of those things like, I mean, a lot of, I've talked to a lot of different people who've talked about kind of what they think of as like their one sort of go-to secret sort of weapon uh, to get things back on track when, you know, you feel like you're getting behind in your recovery and you, and sooner or later, if you get behind in your recovery, you will get sick or you will get an overtraining injury. I mean, you know, I've had uh, lots of time to train and, and experience these things myself. And for me, like I didn't get an overtraining injury, but I actually got pneumonia right before Ironman Hawaii. So I was getting a chest x-ray and my, my doctor was actually like, Chris, this is a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. You cannot go do this race. I was like, uh, I'd rather die than not do Ironman Hawaii. So, um, you know, I, I'm a, you know, if I take all of these things, like I'm more or less likely to die on the course, if I'm taking prednisone, he's like, you know, this is a serious question. Uh, and, but you know, that's because I was trying to stack a bunch of stuff, uh, two coats together. Cause I was freaked out cause I had gotten sick earlier and didn't get the training in. Then I tried to shove it all in and cram at the end and that did not work. Surprise. Um, yeah. it's just, I got, I guess, lucky in a sense that it was just pneumonia and it wasn't like a, you know, partial rupture of my Achilles tendon or something that was actually worse for me long-term. But what are those secret weapons that you really think are these go-to things that people can use to kind of, you know, jumpstart the getting back on track process? Uh, as for, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, if you've had an injury, uh, you know, the, the big things that we prescribe to are doing the strength work and the flexibility work to get, get your, uh, you know, all those prime movers and everything back activated and, and fired up. Cause you know, if, if you're down for however many weeks, you know, we'd like to think that our muscles stay activated and stay, you know, ready to rock, but they, they don't. So, um, you know, making sure that, you know, specifically a lot of prime movers and stabilizers are all, you know, fired up. And then a lot of times, in, you know, when you have an injury, you know, it's going to take some time to get a range of motion back, even in, you know, even in some of the smaller joints and, and muscles in the feet, you know, so, um, you know, you have to do the strength and flexibility work to, to, make yourself as durable as possible. And it goes beyond physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Once that physical therapist or whomever releases you from, from, you know, whatever they've been doing with you, you have to keep it up. It's the, it's the post rehab stuff that's going to prevent you from getting that injury again. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you start to ramp up your, your workload, uh, your body's going to be under all that stress again. And, if those muscles aren't strong, active, and ready to do their job, you're going to be way more at risk for getting that injury again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so, I mean, we, we pound strength and flexibility into every athlete. Uh, if they refuse to do it, we just keep putting it on the, on the schedule and, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of break it down. You know, it's, it's one of those things where people, they want to, they want to run, they want to bike, they want to swim, uh, they don't want to lift. So, um, we try to make it as easy as possible. And that's why we went toward our online strength classes because it takes nothing but a few simple things you can have in your house. And we can still make sure that we're touching on all those important muscles that endurance athletes, uh, tend to ignore. Um, you know, other than that, we've, we've gone to things like 
breaking it up into like breaking like two, like if we do two good strength sessions a week, we'll break it up into like five, 15 minute segments, you know, during the week. It's a, so you may be getting three exercises a day, uh, but you're just doing a little bit every day. So whatever it takes to get the strength and flexibility work in, like that's what post post injury post something like that. That's, that's what we're focused on more than ramping your workload back up. Yeah. I think the big, the big part there is like, look back, what caused the issue? Like what caused the injury? What caused the illness? I've got some athletes where, you know, we use training peaks. So, and we're analyzing all that, that training stress, we got life stress as well, but analyzing that training stress. And I've got some athletes where I can pretty much predict like based on their training stress week to week, uh, whether or not they're at risk of getting sick the following. So I have athletes where I keep them under a training stress number because I know doing more than that is going to get them sick. So that's learning from what has happened in the past, adjusting our training in order to make sure it, it, we minimize the risk of it happening in the future, right? So why did you get injured? Did you get injured because you weren't sleeping? Okay, well, how can we improve your sleep? Okay, so you have you can only get four hours at night, but can you get you know, a 30 minute nap in, in the afternoon. Can you work a 45 minute nap in, um, you know, nutrition, same thing, stretching strength, like Dale already touched on, like, look at all the little things you can be doing and improving, you know, at night, do you go home and watch TV with the family? Well, can you stretch while you're you know, people that say they have no time? Can you stretch while you're watching TV? Can you foam roll? Can you self massage? Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff. You got recovery boots, you got the, you know, Mark pro that we've used before. There's a lot of recovery things you can be doing and working into your daily life that maybe just takes, you know, a few minutes of, of actual intentional focus to make, to get started with that are going to have a huge aspect on, on your performance, keeping you healthy and keeping you, you know, advancing at a high level towards your goal. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, right now is a really good time to do that. If you happen to be stuck at home and you are you know, quote unquote, supervising your kids while they do their online classwork, which means <laughs> just making sure that they're actually watching that and not switching over to a YouTube channel in the side view. Uh, you know, you really do have a lot of extra time to try to incorporate some of these things. And just like you guys talked about earlier, the routines that we do become habits, you know? So uh, when I was younger, um, I actually, I could not wake up in the morning and I had four different alarm clocks in my room, literally like around the room in different locations. So I had to get out of bed to, to turn them off. And I had a company that I had paid to call me and do a wake up call like a hotel. Uh -huh. I would have so much trouble. Well, now I get up, you know, four or 4.30 most of the time without an alarm. I just wake up. But, I'm, you know, it's a routine. And you can get into these routines of doing stretching, doing foam rolling, doing some even a, a, few, a few things right now, like while you're, you know, watching TV with your family or something and add that as a routine now that becomes a habit that actually adds to your strength and stability down the road. And, you know, one of the things really important, I think you guys talked about was the fact that when somebody gets injured, you get this stiffness, you get weakness, you get lost in neuromuscular connections, you get all of these problems that I truly believe contribute to the risk of another overtraining injury later. And oh, I talk sure. about this in medical conferences when I'm lecturing to physicians about running injuries. I just say, look, you know, if you, if you look at the largest meta-analysis of running injuries that has ever been conducted, in the end, when you distill it to like what 
put somebody at risk of an overtraining injury, there are only three things, three. That's it. So one is being male. So if you're a man, you're probably dumber than a woman and more prone to just push and push and push. Oh, for sure. Right. <laughs> but, you know, and if you're number two is a high mileage athlete, not a shocker. I mean, the more miles you put in, the more time on your feet, the more time that you're putting yourself at risk of overtraining just because of the volume. And then the third thing is a, is a history of prior injury. And what I truly believe is that it's not that somebody is predisposed to injury. It's that when we get injured, the things that we do to treat athletes with running injuries, like four to six weeks in a fractured walking boot, weeks on crutches, telling them just to stop training so that they can rest and recover while everything else goes you know, down the toilet is a huge mistake. And if you can take those habits of stretching and strengthening that you can do, you know, and then you realize, okay, well, whatever, I'm injured. I've got, you know, this tendonitis thing or the stress fracture thing or whatever, uh, but I can still do these other things that don't irritate that specific injury. Then it can help you maintain your body because again, every overtraining injury is one injured part and the whole rest of your body can still remain fit through that recovery process. But, you know, you guys clearly already understand that, that's a key with these athletes and it's uh, hard to build any routine overnight. You know, it's really important to get those routines in place in advance. So I know that what I've seen with a lot of athletes is when, when they are training for an event, a lot of them get injured four to six weeks, not surprisingly before the event, because that's when their biggest build phase happens for these really long events. But then I'll also often ask them like, okay, what is your plan for after the race? And they're like, oh my God, I'm just going to relax. I just, you know, I've got all this stuff going on. I've got you know, this work thing came up and I'm trying to train and so on. But most of them don't actually have a real plan. They, they actually will plan and visualize and think about and, you know, create vision boards and stuff for how they're going to achieve their goal time. Their goal time is on their refrigerator. And then they'd have no plan for how they're going to recover after what is truthfully their biggest workout of the entire year. So what do you guys do with that 24 to 48 hour period immediately after an event to make sure that they actually do start to recover right away uh, and then, you know, can continue training without an overtraining injury a lot sooner? What do you do in that first period right after a race? Yeah, I think, uh, well, you know, 90% of the time, the day after like a big, big event, like an ultra or an Ironman or something like that. I mean, it's obviously a complete day off for most people. Um, you know, most people are, are struggling to walk, you know, something like that. So, uh, that's where we kind of focus on rehydration and, and good nutrition, uh, the day after, because, you know, I, I guess we can't, I can't stress the importance of, of hydration for recovery enough. Mm. Um, you know, we've gotten into it tremendously over the last two and a half years and, it's been like a game changer for a lot of, a lot of athletes, just getting the correct amount of electrolytes back in the body, like before, during and after workouts to kind of help prep you for the next, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if you go out on a weekend and you're doing a, a huge long run and then you're the next day, you're supposed to do something else, you know, the rehydration process, like that's going to be what gets you to the next day, not feeling like garbage. Uh, you know, it's, you finish the run and then if you still want to have some sort of energy the rest of the day, you're going to rehydrate as quickly as possible. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, keep that hydration going through the day so that the next day, you know, 
most people will run in the morning or, or whatever. And you want to be totally rehydrated by the next day. So, you know, rehydration post race, post hard workout, post long workout is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then, and then nutrition and then basically day two, second day, we'll have, we'll have a lot of people do low impact stuff. So small chain ring bike rides, maybe some swimming if they can, just, to just to kind of loosen up and get, get things kind of moving again, but not to put any more actual load on the body. We're still trying to, we're, we're trying to shed the, the, the main workload and the, and all that stress that's in the body after the big, big race, but still try to keep, keep things moving and, and aid the recovery process because, you know, it's like when you're, when you're out on a, an easy ride and, and I'm talking like, you know, small ring, very little resistance. That means don't body, ride with someone else. Don't, yeah, don't go with someone else. No swifting <laughs> and no swift races. And, uh, but you know, when you're, when your body is, your muscles are contracting, you know, it's, it's also pumping some of that junk through your lymphatic system out, uh, out of your muscles. So you're actually aiding in your recovery by doing some activity. And we we like to throw around the term active recovery, but most people, most, most athletes, endurance athletes have no, no clue what active recovery really is. Uh, it just has to be super light you know, we're just trying to get some sort of, uh, muscle movement to, to get things moving out, get the junk moving out, but it should not add any stress at all to the system. Yeah. I've got some athletes where I cannot put active recovery on their, on their plan because I know active recovery won't be active. So instead it's safer for me to have it be a total rest day for them versus becoming an active recovery day because that they'll be at a high risk of overdoing it over training. Uh, if, if I put anything on there, yeah. so I think kind of knowing, knowing the athlete, knowing the person and knowing the amount of stress the person went through during that event and letting them know that, I mean, that was a massive breakdown of muscle tissue. Um, likely they had a big, uh, training load going into that. So knowing where an athlete is, is mentally, I mean, for some athletes, we go straight into a, a transition. And we know in advance, like, okay, you've been super focused. You've been super diligent. There's been a lot of physical stress, a lot of mental stress going into this one event. So, you know, what, what having the plan afterwards and what they're going to do the first two days, but also the first week can be important, but then also having, okay, what's, what's after that? Like, what's our next goal? And when do we need to make sure we're starting to, to rebuild, refocus and get back at it? Yeah. And that's also an important point because I think that, you know, as you know, sort of task driven, goal driven athletes, um, it's really easy to say, okay, I'm going to do this workout. And I know I don't really want to take a day off, but you said I have to take a day off. So I'm going to take that day off because that's part of the plan. It's part of training to take that day off. It's part of, you know, what's gone into the structure of developing success or a plan for success. And when people have uh, nothing on the calendar, no idea what they're going to do. Like, Oh, I don't know. I'm going to take time off and chill out and then I'm going to decide what to do. Well, they're far less deliberate about what to do now, because if you stack workouts, if you're doing that, like I'm going to do an Ironman, but then two weeks later, I'm going to do another one. Uh, well you, you better have a very, very, very specific plan on how you're going to be ready two weeks later to do another race. You know? sure. And, 
And if you have some structure, even if it's, you know, whatever, a half marathon or something six months out, then at least it tells the athlete like, okay, hydrating right after is actually really important. You can't take two weeks to get fully rehydrated just, you know, with a normal intake of fluids or whatever. And uh, one of my best friends that we've done lots of races together, he lives in Houston and you would think he would be used to the heat and humidity, right? Cause he lives there. And uh, yet twice he actually DNF'd and you know, once he collapsed getting off the bike, another time he was like literally on a stretcher a hundred miles into the bike ride. And, um, and he basically blew his hydration and nutrition um, on both of those events and wound up in the medical tent. Of course, they rehydrated him. They got two liters of fluids in both events. And then, you know, afterward, my sister, she's a nurse, but we were like out to dinner the next night. And she was like, you know, I don't get it. I mean, Henry didn't even finish. And like, he looks great. And honestly, you look like crap. And, and I was like, well, yeah, he got two liters of fluid. Like I had, you know, uh, I'm still drinking my like water all day. And, you know, he, he's already like, he's good to go now. You know, they pumped it straight into him. And it, it's a lot harder to hydrate if you're just trying to actually take in fluids. And like you said, you have to also know it's not just water, right? Like it's not just fluid. You have to get all the electrolytes back in. That's a lot more difficult to do. And it's, it's better to have somebody coaching you through that process. Uh, but it is crucial if you really want to get back on track and get back to training. Um, so uh, all that said, you know, for uh, to shift to you guys personally, like what your experiences have been with all the races you've done, I know you've done lots of different kinds of events, uh, many events over the years. And for each of you, what's been your, the, your favorite event that you've ever done? Like if you have one experience that like somebody who just wants to sort of have a go at endurance sports and you could give them that same sort of experience um, as a one-time thing, what would be the one event that you did and why was it so memorable? That is a tough one. <laughs> that, uh, there, there's been so many, but, um, you know, I always, I always have a lot of fun going to, um, USA triathlon nationals every year. Um, it's always a lot of fun, but as far as like an event that is, still to this day like stuck in my brain when the pictures come up on social media like rem like reminding you i'm like that was awesome i bet uh, i could guess this one yeah so a few years ago um i convinced a few people on our cycling team to go do um draft legal duathlon nationals uh -huh. and so all of all of the people were previous either triathletes or runners uh and then got into cycling and everyone was a category one or two cyclist and, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty gifted runner, except for myself. <laughs> and, uh, and so we trained together for this event for, I don't know, a couple months and, uh, went down as in new Orleans at the time. And, um, man, we had a, we had a blast. It was so much fun. Uh, you know, we basically ran together on the first run and, uh, kept it together and then we kind of basically just did a team time trial for the, for the bike. Uh, we didn't have the greatest tactics, but we, we, uh, we rode it basically like a crit, uh, trying to, trying to kind of lose people in the corners and stuff like that. And, um, and then, you know, got off the bike and everyone ran as hard as they could. And, but it was just, it was a blast because it was, you turn, basically it turned multi-sport into a team sport. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a ton of fun. You're with all your friends and, and everyone just kind of leaned on everyone else during the race and, you know, traded poles. And it was just, it was a ton of fun. I, 
I'm, I was really excited to try to go do that again this year, which was in, it's going to be in Tuscaloosa, which is not far from us. And uh, yeah, so that's been, that's been canceled, but, mm -hmm. but uh, when they, when they reschedule it, we'll definitely uh, try to get a couple people to go down there and, and do that. It's, draft legal racing is a ton of fun. I wish, I wish there were more of it. Um, but yeah, that's mine. Okay. Mine's, mine's going to be uh, the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic. Oh, wow. So Durango, Colorado to Silverton, Colorado, down in the southwest corner there. Um, that was the first event I did. I went and did it, I think I did three or four times total. Um, but beautiful scenery, very challenging course. You got people of all ages and ability levels up to some of the pros, you know, that you watch on TV that are, uh, that are there. And they close the... Uh, second to last mountain pass. So the last like 25 miles um, or more, yeah, about 25 miles, um, the road's been closed, which means once you get to Silverton, all those people that are, are there waiting to help you get back to the start because it's a point to point race, they're down there having a grand old time lining the streets. So when you, when you finish, it's, a, it's an accomplishment just to, to finish. You know, it's such a challenging, uh, uh, tough event. But you've got this street lined with people, and you kind of feel like you're in the in the Tour de France, uh, going going through. People are doing the wave, um, and then it was you know a big celebration, and, and people excited and and having a great time afterwards. So um, I think that's been a, a very memorable one, and and they've actually paired that with I think there's four other events now. I want to go do. Obviously, I'm more of a cyclist. I want to go do the, uh, they have a mountain bike race that you actually, they take the panes of glass out of one of their local brewery restaurants and you ride through the bar area off the back patio and down like a ramp that they build for this thing. Wow. So it's just an epic experience. Durango is one of the premier, uh, endurance locations, uh, in the world. And, uh, so I would encourage anyone to, that, that's interested in giving cycling a go, um, that event is epic. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's mine. Cool. Yeah. Those are good things. Uh, and I know obviously, you know, people that maybe signed up for some of those kind of things now have all had them canceled. Like you got lots, you're imagine yep, you have lots of athletes with cancellations. You guys have been canceling your own events, you know, that you were doing in terms of training. Um, and there's all this disruption, right? So some races just said, okay, we're going to put it off until September, October, and they're already trying to secure permits and new dates and stuff. We don't really know for a fact that it's going to be uh, on during those times yet anyway. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It just depends on, you know, the health departments and all these things in different areas. And there's a lot of stuff that's just beyond their control. So probably would be a first if somebody had a cancellation and then they rescheduled it and then it got canceled again. But I will imagine that that is going to happen with at least one event, um, you know, this time around. So uh, you know, when you have to deal with your athletes right now, I'd imagine the easy part for you guys, because you have so much experience is just restructuring workouts to keep them healthy and all that. But, you know, what are you guys doing about motivation during this time with all the uncertainty? So a lot of, a lot of what we've done because most people, you know, they're, I would say their first race of the year is getting canceled. So they have a second one. So that's, it's always good to have that, that second race, late, late in the year, later in the year. Um, but we're really treating this kind of as a, an extension of the off season, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part, we've gone back to, 
uh, working on people's limiters. And then for some people it's been, you know, let's, let's go and let's maybe not do the volume we were going to do if we were going to do an Ironman or a, a, you know, half or whatever, but let's, let's go through this first peak anyways and do a little recovery. And then we'll start to ramp again because that's the whole idea of a, of a double peak season is to have one peak and then not come all the way back down here and have to rebuild, but we have one peak we'll recover. And then the second one should be higher. So, um, we've, we, we are, some people were, are taking them through that first peak anyways. Um, and then, and then kind of ramping again, but we focused on different things. We've, we've gone away obviously from race goals and gone more toward, okay, let's see where we can get, uh, for a lot of our runners, it's a mile time. We're, mm-hmm. we're going back to, to doing mile assessments and, you know, seeing how fast we can get their, their mile or their 5k. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that mile is super repeatable, testable. Um, you know, even, even just doing a standalone 5k is, is tough for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, one just, it's not necessarily the time, but like around here, there's just, it's un- uninterrupted aside from being on a track, uh, uninterrupted, you know, 5k is, is tough. Um, but you know, we've, we've focused back on kind of more fitness and performance goals versus focusing on a race and, and choosing those things based on the person. I mean, we've had to restructure pretty much everybody's stuff. So it's, it's all focused on either a, a number, a, a threshold number or a, um, you know, mile time or, or something that we can easily track and, and test. Okay. That makes sense. You know, um, uh, so that's part of it, right? So you shift them to these, these things they can control, which is part of the mental aspect, right? When you give people a sense of that, they actually do have control of something. There's something they can do. There's something that they can use to stay on track and, you know, getting a, a clear vision of what your, uh, your mile times are like, or your 5k times or something can really help them manage that. And, and it also truthfully like reduces a lot of anxiety, but I know one of the things that does happen is when something changes, like when race conditions change, that can be really disrupting to a lot of athletes. And it's interesting because when you think about it, when there's a race and you show up and it's really super windy or it's really hot or it's, you know, really cold or whatever, you know, you suddenly have this whole disruption that happens where you think, okay, well, this sucks. You know, I was planning on doing this specific time. Now it's going to be really hard to do that. But, you know, so what? It's that for everybody. It's a race, you know, and, and so the, but with endurance sports, we're also focused on what our individual time is going to be so much more than how many people we're going to beat. It becomes more difficult to make those mental shifts, you know. But, I mean, wouldn't you agree that for endurance sports, that certainly the mental focus and the mental fortitude that you have to complete the event is, like, extremely important, you know. And, I mean, I, I did a really stupid thing one time where my sister signed up for her first Ironman and she'd been running marathons for decades. So I knew she could do it, but she actually got really super anxious about it. And, um, and I was, I had just finished Ironman Texas and um, she was, I mean, she was really getting way too worked up about this. And I was just like, look, you got a year, you know, this is not a problem. You know, it's going to be fine. And she started arguing with me saying, no, but you can train whenever you want and you can do this and you can do that. And and I said, look, and I was literally disassembling my bike to pack it and come back to California. 
Uh, so I'm taking apart my bike in her living room and having this talk with her. I said, okay, look, I'll, I'll prove to you that doing an Ironman is entirely mental and it's not physical at all. For the next, you know, whatever it was, four or five months, I said, I will not ride my bike. I won't even assemble it when I get home. I will not swim. I will not run. I will not go to the gym. I will not do any workout of any kind. And I'll go do Ironman Lake Tahoe with zero training and prove to you as possible. Now, I seriously doubt that you would recommend that to one of your athletes and I would not <laughs> recommend it to anyone listening to this. So disclosure, um, this is one of the dumbest things you could possibly do. And it was not only not an enjoyable day, this is an enormous risk of an, an injury trying to do something like that, but it's possible. And, you know, granted I had lots of experience doing those events. So that also is a huge piece that makes it really and truly not really all mental. It's part of its pacing and just trying to not do something stupid but when people have these events that they've really put so much effort into and picturing, you know, a specific marathon finish time or a specific time that they think that number is going to qualify them for Kona when really that's not at all the case. So the worse the conditions are in some respects, actually better for them if they're prepared for that mentally. Like, how do you keep people uh, in this state of mental flexibility when it comes to the actual event and something at the event changes that's beyond their control? Yeah, I think one of the big things there is you, you got to have backup plans for race day. If you're putting all your eggs in the, this is the time I'm going to get, and that's the only thing that's going to make me happy, mm. uh, you're setting yourself up for failure because stuff stuff can get, can happen. You can you may not know that you're getting sick, but you're actually getting sick uh, on race day. And now, you know, why are you feeling bad? Um, we also like preach a lot to our athletes, like trying to ride to a specific number or run to a specific pace or heart rate. I mean, there's, there's variables out there that are going to be out of your control and you may not be on a great day. Then again, you may be on a great day. You don't know. Um, so we like our athletes going into races with, uh, like what's something you'd be happy with? What would be like a really solid result, like a great result. And then what's like over the moon result for you. Um, and then letting an athlete know, and, it, and a lot of it comes during your preparation as well. I mean, you're going to have bad days in your training. So that's a great time for you to be preparing for what happens if things are going bad during your race. Um, but having the athletes just do their best, you're only capable of what your body gives you, your body and mind give you on race day. So your number one goal and the only thing that can make you upset about your race is not giving your best. So take care of the stuff that's within your control. You can't control the weather. You can't control whether smoke blows in and an event gets canceled or whatever. All you can, all you can do is deal with what your body is giving you on that day, mentally staying focused, managing your race, not self-sabotaging. Um, and if you do all those things, us as coaches are super jazzed at your result, regardless of what that is. Um, if you get the best you can out of yourself on that day, that's all we can ask for. Yeah, the first the first thing that everybody gets when they sign up with us is a is a whole email spiel about trusting your training and, and you know on on race day you will have already uh, you know done all the work you need to do to uh, to finish the race you know at whatever uh, goal we've set. We're not going to set an unrealistic goal. Uh, you'll have the fitness to do it. You'll have already practiced your nutrition uh, plan, hydration plan in your training prior to doing that. 
uh, event. So um, you'll have the fitness and you'll have all of the tools, you know, and then it just revolves around, okay, let's do, let's continue to focus on what we can control on race day. We have the fitness, we have a nutrition and hydration plan. Uh, if we execute all of this stuff, the pacing, whatever, um, then we're going to have the best day that we can. Now, the uncontrollables come in, then those may move the needle a little bit on time. But other than that, you're still, you're still had the best day you could have given the circumstances. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's tons of rate. I mean, last year and uh, I went and went to Ironman Chattanooga last year because I had a lot of people racing it and it was a hundred degrees and it was humid. And I mean, and it was I like was the, out one of the first hot days. It was like one of the first hot days too. So people hadn't adapted to the heat at all. Mm-hmm. Well, this, uh, I was talking about the full oh, <laughs> okay. September, okay. but it was still, it was still like blazing hot, like hotter than normal in, in that area for that time of year. And, um, I mean, I, I just, all I did was go around the course, find my, my athletes and just tell them to continue to drink drink, 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 like electrolytes, electrolytes, as much electrolyte as you can put in your body because you're losing it. And every one of them had a, had a great race. I mean, I'm seeing people come across the finish line, their legs kicked out sideways. Cause it's, it's locked. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're cramping so badly. Like, um, so if you control the things that you can control and you know, you've done the work, like there should be no anxiety. Like, don't go, like, obviously don't make an Ironman your first race ever. That's not like, that's anxiety that you can't, like, you can't quantify because you've never done it before. You can't wrap your head around it. Uh, But, you know, if you're, if you're doing the things you can control, there shouldn't be any, any anxiety with it. Yeah, totally makes sense, man. I know even on the, uh, like sort of the intro video on your guys' website, I think at the end, you just, you're like, both of you are like, trust your training, you know, and that's crucial. I mean, it really is. So it sounds, um, simple, but it's true. And you also have to be able to trust your coach. I mean, that's the whole point is that once you've done all that training, once you've done a bunch of races, you like, if you've done a bunch of Ironman races, you know, you can do an Ironman race and it's not that complicated at that point. But when you haven't done an Ironman race, the only thing you have to go on is, is really your coach's belief in you and the fact that they know what they're doing and they've created this plan that they know will get you to the finish line or they wouldn't have done it. And, uh, and you know, it's the training, the work that you have put in, you know, and before, before I did triathlons or any of that, I, um, I raced motorcycles professionally and, the, and the, I got this really valuable lesson way back then from a guy's name was Fred Provis and he was basically my mentor and coach. And, uh, and we were actually at Memphis for a race. I'd never raced in Memphis and, uh, and you know, out in the practice session, he was standing on top of the trailer, like watching me. And I came back in and he said, Hey bub, what, what gear are you in when you come out of back, you know, onto the back straight. And I was like, well, I'm in whatever gear. And he said, well, you need to be in, in fifth gear when you exit that corner. And I was like, there is no way, man, no way. There's no, I will be completely out of control if that happens. He said, no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you need to, you need to hit fifth gear when you come out of that corner. And he said, you, he said, trust me, you will slide all the way across the track as you exit that corner, heading down the straightaway. And you feel like you're going to die, but I promise your tires will catch just before you hit the, um, the outside markers. 
And I was like, and literally I was like, okay, well, Fred knows what he's talking about. And I trusted him implicitly. And I, you know, went out in the next session and sure enough, I just went in, you know, one gear higher and I really did. Like I thought I was going to die and he was right. And I ended up leaving Memphis with a trophy, you know, and never in a million years would I have even attempted that if Fred had not said, you can totally do it, man. But he knew he'd been racing for many, many years and he knew. And so that's the thing is your athletes, they hire you because they know that you actually know you can do that workout or you cannot do that workout, you know, and you are the ones that have the collective experience to show us who really don't know what we can do and what we, what we can't. And that's really the whole point of having a coach is not just to create a calendar, but to make these decisions as you go through your training so that you can get to the event, have a great experience, not get injured, and then continue to build on that for the next year and the next season, regardless of what that season holds for you that time. So, uh, you know, on your own show, I know you guys both, you have interviewed and talked to lots of really different people. Uh, I know you have lots of episodes that are interesting. You have gotten lots of interesting insights from these other uh, athletes and experts. And, but for you, you know, not so much as a coach trying to help people get through these events, but for you personally, as you know, an athlete in training with your own goals, own aspirations, own motivations, you know, what guest for each of you really kind of, uh, I guess, sticks in your mind as being something where you really took something away personally? I'll lead off. I, I, I enjoyed uh, our interview we did with uh, Johnny Brown. So a guy we'd raced against, so Johnny Brown and Nate Brown, both uh, really top level cyclists um, and both people who we kind of raced against as they were growing up. So we saw him like Johnny Brown was what probably 12 or 13 when he was ripping it up, uh, against, against all these adults at a bunch of the local races. They're from, uh, Covington, Tennessee. So just North of here. Mm -hmm. Um, so getting him on after he had won the U S pro national uh, championship road race, he was leading into the next, uh, the next, uh, U S pro road race. So getting him on chatting with him, just discussing what life was like, you know, uh, reminiscing about the races we had done together, uh, seeing him on his journey, talking through, you know, the emotions he had at that race. It's almost like, you know, it was kind of like having living vicariously through, uh, through someone else. Um, so I thought that was a really fun one. And then I've always just enjoyed talking with our athletes and getting their perspective on stuff. I mean, coach Dale and myself, there's, we get more stressed out for our athletes than we do for ourselves. We'd rather our athletes have a great day than us have a great day. Uh, so when our athletes put a plan, you know, we put the plan together, they execute the plan and then, and then it comes together for them. Like we know they can on race day, being able to bring them on the show and, and chat with them afterwards and, and uh, celebrate them essentially and their successes. And um, that's always so awesome for us. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've had some good we've had some good conversations on the on the old couch. Um, yeah, I think my, I would have to say mine would probably be uh, Seth Ryder um, as another kind of local pro triathlete or another local pro athlete. Um, he is actually from Germantown, uh, the, the town that we we live in, and uh, he's actually he's he actually just got put on the USA Triathlon National Pro Team uh, for this year. So I guess that would put him in the running for a, uh, an Olympic spot in 2021. Um, 
but he's been he's been mixing it up with all the big boys uh in wts races and stuff like that and um yeah he was just just talking to him and like brian said just kind of getting a uh insight into like how he trains you know and just being able to compare uh his kind of training days regimens and stuff like that to that of what our average athlete can can do um so we got you know we got a lot of good insight into here's what here's what seth's doing he all he does is wake up train two three times a day eat sleep two three he sleeps two three times a day i mean you know and then you know here's here's our average athlete you can't do this we can't expect you to be like seth and and it's just more it's more of like the people that come to you and say hey i want to i want to do this and you know it's more fuel to say is that realistic for you? Because here's what uh, a top level world class triathlete is doing. Uh, you don't have the time for that. Like, you know, not, not to be a dream smasher, but like <laughs> we like to try to keep it realistic, uh, you know, and make, make the goals as realistic as possible. So that was a good conversation. We got, we got a lot of insight too after the show on like kind of the, like how, pro uh the draft legal pro races play out and stuff which was really cool and we hope to have him back on to kind of actually just talk about that because it really is interesting how different countries will will play like their their team like almost like a team aspect to to the race itself everyone wants to have a great race but you know it's kind of like some some races it's just it's not your day and you get put kind of to the wolves to um, you know, make sure that the pack is strung out going into to T2, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So it was real, real interesting stuff. Uh, so we hope to talk to him again. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you guys have lots of interesting episodes. Of course, you know, those would be two that I guess people should also check out, not just your ones recently on um, that you've done on what to do in, in more depth because you guys really go in a lot of depth about what to do when something goes sideways, whether, whether you get sick, whether you get injured, a race is canceled, whatever, some circumstance beyond your control where you really have to figure out how to make all the shifts and change gears and, and redirect your efforts and your, you know, your mind basically to uh, some new event so that you can stay on track and stay motivated. So we'll have links to the, um, obviously to your show coaches on couches, uh, everybody should listen to that show. It's a great show. Uh, yeah. You know, I subscribe, um, and, and obviously follow these guys on social too. We'll have all the links there. Um, but uh, I know you also, you guys do lots of stuff, not just with athletes locally, but you do some uh, remote work too. You can do remote bike fittings, right? Like, uh, online. Yep. Yep. We, uh, it, it kind of got the, the, we've been working on the system for several years. And then obviously it kind of got uh, put into the important category to finish it out uh, recently, but yeah, we can do, uh, we can do online bike fitting. We do these online strength classes We and Mm -hmm. online cycling classes. We've been doing, we've been doing online classes for five years. So it's not, this is not, you know, with all this going on, it's not been new to us. Uh, We just kind of kickstarted them back up. It, you know, we don't normally do our cycling class this time of year. It's usually a, an off-season winter thing, but yeah, we just kicked it back up since so many people are stuck inside. Well, yeah, and they need it. 
right? So uh, that's part of the deal is that everybody needs that kind of stuff. And, uh, and for many of us, frankly, even when, you know, the world is operating at a normal level, uh, being able to do something like that, an online strength class or an online bike fitting or whatever, logistically is just so much easier, you know, uh, for uh, the people that need to do those things when they're time crunched athletes in particular. And obviously, that's really your guys focus and, um, and you're good at it. So, for all the people listening right now, if they want to follow you, if they want to connect to you, they want to reach out to you, get help with any of these uh, things, whether it's an online strength class or they're just thinking about maybe switching things up and actually going from being a, a self-directed, um, you know, moderately effective uh, you know, self-coach to having somebody who's a real coach like you take them on, where should they, um, where should they go to reach out to you? you can, I mean, you can find us at buildpeakcompete.com. Um, and then all of our services are on there as well. And, um, you can find out about the strength classes, uh, there as well. And those are, we're running them free right now. And, uh, our cycling class is, is, uh, you find that at hop cycling, H O P cycling.com. Mm-hmm. Those are also running them for free while everyone's stuck indoors now. Mm-hmm. Um, social media, we're on Instagram at BPC performance, uh, and then Facebook and YouTube at at build Pete compete. So, okay. We aren't, we aren't, uh, we aren't massive in social media, uh, <laughs> as people will find out once, once I get on there, uh, we get, we prefer training over thinking up cool <laughs> Facebook posts. Most of the time, we have a lot more time to do funny videos and stuff. There's a few out there. We used to, <laughs> we used to have a lot more time for that kind of stuff, but, uh, and for those yeah. wondering, uh, hop actually stands for house of pain. So That's how good pain is why it's not, we're not like having you hop around or jump or pretend well, it's good to you bring that, you know, cause like one of the, you know, the most common uh, test that I, that I know um, is not only utilized is utilized incorrectly when you have a stress fracture is called the hop test and you're literally hopping on one foot. Right. Um, which by the way, if you have a stress fracture, just a disclosure, don't do it um, until you talk to somebody because you can break your foot uh, you know, or whatever doing that. So that would be bad. Know, yeah. So don't, don't do the hop test. That's a bad idea. Um, don't jump rope to figure out if you're going to have a stress fracture. You know, it's a terrible <laughs> idea. Don't do box jumps. Uh, so the hop test that you're talking about again, house of pain, totally different. Um, the house of pain is something that everyone should enjoy if they're an endurance athlete. So uh, I think that's great. So we'll put all the links in there so people can find you guys, follow you. Uh, again, I appreciate both of you taking time out of your day, uh, you know, on a morning to be able to do the show, uh, not sit on the couch, you know, um, you know, no Corona bottle in between you two guys today, but, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you doing it in a different setting and a different uh, way. So thanks so much to both of you for being here. You yeah. bet. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Before you go, I just want to mention one other thing. If you have an overtraining injury, if you think you have an overtraining injury, if you've been recovering from an injury, the most important thing you can do is track your pain. I've written a couple of books on this. I've provided a lot of information on podcasts about this. But the one thing you really need to do more than any other is stay focused and do something specific every day to make sure that you understand whether or not what you're doing is making you better or worse. And that all starts with tracking your pain. So go to the show notes for this episode. Download the pain journal. I made it for you. It's the runner's pain journal. It shows you exactly what to track, what you should chart, and then you can use that to see whether or not your condition is actually really improving or 
if it's not. And if it's not, then you have to do something different. But if it is improving, that helps you understand how you can start ramping up your activity so you can keep running and get back to all of your running goals a whole lot faster. Go check it out. Go to the show notes, stockontherun.com. It's free and you can get it there now. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.